Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have made them become real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power into our lives from the scriptures, and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so grateful to have back with us uh, someone who's been with us a few times before, my, my good friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Avram Shannon, Shannon who is... Uh, uh, just a fantastic scholar uh, and has studied at uh, BYU and Oxford and Ohio and uh, been teaching with us for a number of years. And you probably remember him from uh, we did Leviticus together, I think, and uh, some other things and, and uh, had so much positive feedback on that. It seemed like it was time to have him back. And I know he loves Jeremiah. So we're here to talk about Jeremiah. Welcome, Avram. Thanks, Gary. I am very happy to be here. And I do dearly love um, Jeremiah. It's in terms of the prophetic texts, I think Jeremiah is one of my favorites. He's just, for one thing, we talk about the scriptures are real. Jeremiah always keeps it real. He does. He really does. And he's he's really grounded in what's happening in his day in Jerusalem and uh, in Judah in general. And uh, you're right. He is just fun. I love so much Jeremiah. I'll just tell you one of my favorite classes as a graduate student was a, a course where we translated all of the prose passages of Jeremiah with Kent Jackson. There were just uh, two of us in the class. And uh, uh, wow, I, I just loved him. I've always thought I would like to teach a semester that's just Jeremiah. And we have a colleague who's doing that right now this uh, this semester, uh, George Pierce. And uh, I'm jealous of him, but I'll, I'll do it someday. It's just so much fun. It is. It is. And one thing actually that's I think is intriguing with that, you talk about the prose passages, like much of a prophetic thing about, about Jeremiah, you have sort of these narrative passages interspersed with the sort of personal oracles yeah. i think is a really i get it. It, it it makes it in some ways jeremiah is a little bit easier to follow than say isaiah because isaiah also has the prose interspersed with the oracles but the editorial hand feels a little bit it's a little bit again it's just easier to follow jeremiah in some ways than it is yeah. um, to follow some of the stuff you see in, in isaiah and say ezekiel for example yeah I would agree. And in fact, uh, Ken Jackson's reason for wanting to study the prose of Jeremiah, and this is worth our bringing up as we probably want to start by setting some background for the book of Jeremiah. He said, I just want to understand the kind of Hebrew they were speaking in Jerusalem in Lehi's day. And that's a good good place to start because uh, Lehi and Jeremiah are contemporaries. And uh, there's a lot going on in Jerusalem in that day. And maybe we can even just start by saying um, that the book of Jeremiah, the chapters are not range chronologically. Uh, so that's worth noting. I, I created a, a little thing. Maybe I'll see if I can get it up on my website, um, uh, out of the dust.org, where I created it for my students, where it was the best I could tell about the chronological order of the chapters. I don't know that that means we should study them in that way. There's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for studying them in the way they're presented to us. And so I've done some of both and I like both. Um, but there are a number of chapters where no matter what you do, you cannot figure out when they were written. Yeah. And we just have to kind of live with that ambiguity. Yeah. And it's a good reminder, treating scripture in general. Jeremiah, Jeremiah is nice. You know, there are some places we can put it in chronologically. Yeah. It's a good reminder for other books of scripture. Isaiah, Ezekiel, um, you know, where we don't have even the signposts we have in Jeremiah. Just remember these may, uh, canonical order is basically never the same in at least the uh, prophetic books as chronological order yeah i absolutely agreed and you're right there are more signposts in jeremiah than any of the other chapters or books i've looked at to try and and say what because he interacts with kings and 
events a lot and it makes it easier but with isaiah there are precious few actually yeah but uh but there are a few well why don't you tell us oh go ahead no no go ahead as i said i've probably 40 years and here's like one two places in that 40 year time span yeah so well why don't you just give us a little background on on jeremiah and uh what what we should know that so one of the the there's some wonderful, wonderful things about the way we've arranged um, studying Come Follow Me, where basically we're following the order of the the books the way they are in the Bible. But it's really helpful if we can um, go back and review the history. So we, we read the history of Jeremiah like seven, eight weeks ago uh, as we were going through Second Kings, and that was the history of what was happening in Jeremiah's day. By now, it's hard to remember that, so maybe you could refresh us a little bit. Sure. So actually, let's let's start by I'm going to start by reading the the sort of the, the precis of the book. Right. So the very beginning there, Jeremiah one, one through three, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah under the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So what you have here, so he, he talks about there are three kings he um, is there with, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and then Zedekiah. And this is basically the winding up of the kingdom of Judah. Um, so remember, the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel is carried away in 721, about the time of Isaiah. Here, we're right about the turn of the 7th century B.C., and this is this is when Judah ceases to exist as independent polity. It ceases yeah. to be a kingdom unto itself. It, it goes on as a people. And of course, the exile and the exilic prophets uh, will see that. But as a kingdom, Judah, this is the last time until the Hasmoneans, basically, that yeah. we get independent Israelite nation. So many hundred years later, many, yeah. many hundred years. So many hundred years I, later. And and it occurs to me, as uh, you just mentioned, uh, the kind of that comparison between Jeremiah and Isaiah, uh, that the, the maybe our audience doesn't know that actually the way that these first several prophetic books are arranged is by length. So Isaiah is the longest. He's first. Jeremiah is the second longest. So he's second. And uh, it, that may not be a coincidence that Isaiah is preaching to warn the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of impending destruction. He is one of God's great warning voices. There are others, Micah, Amos, Hosea, but um, the, there are others that he, he's kind of foremost in warning them that they are going to be destroyed. And Jeremiah, along with others like Ezekiel um, and Lehi, uh, are, are warning Judah that they're going to be destroyed. And uh, the length of their books is somewhat of a testament to the length that God goes through to make sure people know they need to repent. Yes. And and with that, I mean, the length, the, the necessity of, of this idea of, of repentance, it also helps us remember, we know from a fact from Scripture, from the Book of Mormon, from other places, there are lots and lots and lots of prophets yeah. who are prophesying, prophesied throughout Israel's history. The ones we have in the Bible are really focused on destruction and redemption. Yeah. Uh, and the reason is, it seems to be, is because the editors who are 
sort of compiling and, and preserving this work, this is a message that matters a lot to them. And so I am certain that there are lots and lots of prophets who just said things like be good or whatever that didn't get preserved the same way because this message of why this happened, how we deal with this, and then how can we go back is a major concern for those people who are preserving the words of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, very, very well said. Uh, and I'd never thought of this before, but as you uh, said that, it, I think there's a, a parallel on the Book of Mormon in that we have a whole bunch of uh, a disproportionate amount of writings per time period as we near the destruction that will come with Christ's crucifixion. And then again, not quite as big, but still our next big chunk of writing is as we come to the destruction of the Nephites. Yeah. And and there's a there's a I, I think part of this is is the Lord really wants to push repentance. Part of it is the Lord wants us to remember this. And so even as we edit and put these script texts together, as you know, as we as we say, okay, what are we what are we gonna preserve? What are we yeah. gonna uh, what, what's good what, what what's the message we need to keep? This idea what are the most salient points? Yeah. This idea of how do we explain why this happened and how do we make sure it never happens again? Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, good. So I think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, it says he's a priest. Okay. And so he's one of our priestly prophets. Not all prophets are priests in the ancient world. Remember that in antiquity, of course, um, we tend to conflate priesthood and prophethood because we have a church that's organized in ways that does not seem to be the case. In ancient Israel, they don't have a formal church like ours is. Right. Um, and so and so you get prophets who are, again, you, somebody like Amos. Well, when we read Amos, Amos is, says, look, I, I wasn't a prophet, guys. Um, or I wasn't a priest. Yeah, yeah. He actually didn't say that I wasn't a prophet either. Um, Amos is really interesting because of that. He's yeah, yeah. Even outside prophetic circles. But, oh, but Jeremiah, Jeremiah is actually, this is important. We'll talk about this um, a little more. Um, I hope later on, but Jeremiah is a priest and a prophet. Um, Ezekiel also is. Isaiah doesn't appear to be a priest. No. Definitely a prophet, not a priest. But the other thing about uh, Jeremiah as a priest is it says he's from the town of Anathoth. And if you go all the way back to King David, and um, especially to Solomon, there was a um, a priest there. So when Solomon, again, right there at the end, end of Samuel, and in 2 Samuel, beginning of 1 Kings, there's what's often called, scholars call it the succession narrative. Right. Narrative about how Solomon gets to be king. And so Solomon is supported by this priest, Sadok. Okay, Solomon's brother is supported by this priest, Abiathar, who had been the supporter of David, etc. When Solomon becomes king, he exiles Abiathar to Abiathar's hometown, which is Anathoth. Right. Okay. Jeremiah probably comes from this priestly family, yeah. which means that even though Jeremiah's a priest, Jeremiah starts off on the margins and in some ways never leaves them. Yeah, I would agree. And, and it's interesting because even geographically, and this is probably part of why Solomon did what he did, uh, you know, Jerusalem is kind of the center. I mean, there are priests that come from from Jericho and all sorts of places, but Jerusalem's kind of the center for for priestly activities. And I thought this is uh, so Jerusalem is on Mount Moriah. You go down that, that valley 
and come back up onto the Mount of Olives. And then you go back on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And it's as you head down there that you get to Anathoth, just a little bit north and and east of Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So it's it's almost, you know, they're almost Jerusalem, but no, there's a mountain peak in between them that really does separate them uh, geographically as well as socially. Yeah. And 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 so and so he's going to be an outsider to Jerusalemite um, society. And 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 that outsider status figures, I think, heavily into into Jeremiah's narrative of how he feels as a prophet and how he's treated as a prophet. So uh, the other thing you think of in terms of his background, again, he talks about three kings, Josiah, um, Jehoiakim, and, and Zedekiah. Josiah is described in Kings as one of the good kings. Mm-hmm. One um, of the comes, best of kings. He reforms, he brings things um. He makes things better. He, he gets rid of all the idolatry. Because, of course, as far as kings is concerned, the wickedness of Israel is not worshiping Jehovah correctly. It's idolatry. Right. And Josiah is not an idolatrous king, but he dies in battle against Egypt. Yeah. At a fairly young age. Um, yeah, up in Megiddo. Up in Megiddo. And the sense you get from kings is that this is not what they were expecting. This idea that he was going to go and make everything right, and then he dies. Yeah. And the authors of Kings are like, what, what does this mean? How do we work through this? And they spend some time trying to figure it out. But the fact is, is that Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, his sons, their brothers, mm-hmm. are not... Uh, they're not the kings their father was, at least as far as um, the Book of Kings is concerned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. 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 Uh, no, absolutely. Um, Zedekiah. But of course, Zedekiah should be very familiar to you, um, to our listeners, because, of course, Zedekiah, you know, the Book of Mormon begins in the first year of the reign of King Zedekiah. Yeah. So. Which should highlight how contemporary Jeremiah and Lehi are. Yes. Jeremiah is small enough in this period. It is impossible if they're uh, in Jerusalem to not at least be aware of each other. Oh, you, mean, you mean Jerusalem is small enough in this period? Jerusalem is small. Yeah, Jerusalem is small yeah. in this period. It's impossible that Jeremiah and Lehi don't know each other. Yeah. Or at least are aware of each other. They might not move in the same social circles or whatever, but it's impossible that they are not aware of each other. Yeah, especially where they're both prophesying things that make them unpopular. Um, right. The word of that is getting around. We know that actually both from the book of Jeremiah, from the, the Book of Mormon and from uh, archaeological textual evidence. People know about prophets uh, who are are saying unpopular things. And I can't imagine that they didn't hear about each other as they were saying someone else or saying these unpopular things. And still unpopular things. So, again, a little sort of the geopolitical situation. Um, remember, we, again, we've just finished reading um, Isaiah for Come Follow Me. In Isaiah's day proper, the Neo-Assyrians are the bad guys. They're Mesopotamian Empire. We see a little bit prophetically pushing forwards to the Babylonians at the end of Isaiah. Here in Jeremiah, the Babylonians are the bad guys. Yeah. Okay. 
they do this thing. Um, again, we read about this back in, in Kings, where the system you did back in the day, Assyrians do this, the Babylonians do this. You move in and you um, basically make yourself an over king. You say, you're still going to be king, but you have to pay me tribute, which is ruinous, right? The yeah. nations actually can't, the, the, the smaller countries like Judah can't support the amount of tribute that Babylon wants from them. Yeah, and the tribute is built in terms of goods and people. Yeah. And that's that's part of the difficult thing. Uh, I mean, if you've watched Hunger Games, you kind of understand this, the idea that when you keep taking our children, that becomes a, a burden that's more than than we can bear, even though the goods is more than they can bear. Yeah. And so, and so you get periodic rebellions because this is unsustainable. You just, you yeah. just can't keep this up. Where Jeremiah is interesting is that Jehoiakim and Zedekiah, Zedekiah is actually put on the throne by the king of Babylon. Um, he deposes his brother, comes and puts um, Zedekiah on the throne. So again, this is exactly what's happening right at the Book of Mormon starts um, with it. Where it gets really interesting is the royal policy of Zedekiah seems to be to, Egypt is always over there saying, look, you can overthrow these guys. We'll help you. We've got the stuff you need. You, you, we'll support you. We know you're little. We're bigger. We can help you. Egypt's help in this period is worthless. Yeah. Um, they're just, they're just, they're just not. They have a lot of cultural cachet still, but they are not the military power they once were. Yeah, and so they're just trying to use Judah as a buffer zone. Honestly, yeah. uh, if if they could do this on their own, then they wouldn't be trying to use Judah as a buffer zone. They'd move up and do it on their own, but they're not, and and that they just they manipulate Judah, and Judah is caught in between these two powers larger than itself. So where Jeremiah is extraordinarily politically unpopular in his message is Jeremiah's message is you need to submit to Babylon. Yeah. It's not, um, you know, you'll, you know, again, you read with Isaiah and the Assyria where God said, look, you stop, you, you, you know, you don't have to submit. I'll protect you. Um, and of course, this is a miraculous thing where he destroyed Sennacherib's army. This, um, all that great stuff. I went that. Jeremiah says, look, if you rebel, you're going to die. You're going to lose. It's all going to be over. Yeah. Just So don't follow. Um, don't rebel against Babylon. And that's extremely it just it's just not a popular position because it it just it doesn't it seems contrary to how they how they the, they apparently think about how God is wants them to um act and, and and work through and you know we're God's people, this is God's temple, we can't be destroyed. Yeah, and you can you can see Laman and Lemuel getting caught up in this, right? With yeah. the, the notion, okay, we know that in the past God miraculously protected Jerusalem. So we should expect that he will do that again. And so the fact that Jeremiah or Lehi or Nephi are saying, no, if you rebel against Babylon, you're going to be destroyed. Um, God is not going to protect you. Now, the reason God's not going to protect them is because they're not keeping the covenant. Um, but th they seem to forget that part, uh, at least Laman and Lemuel do. And I think a lot of other people in Jerusalem. Uh, but in any case, that they're, everything about their recent cultural history tells them God will come through for us and, and we can rebel and God will protect us. And the prophets are not, well, the, the true prophets, there are plenty of false prophets who are saying that's right. But the true prophets, Jeremiah and Lehi and so on, are saying, no, the, the destruction comes. 
you need to repent. That's what's going to save you. But but really, as you said, Jeremiah is very clear. Don't rebel against Babylon. I don't talk about that prophecy for a second, too. The, the, the true prophets are the false prophets. Oh, uh, good, good. Jeremiah is a book that's very, very concerned with prophets. Yeah. Something like a third of all references to prophets, or more, I think, even, in like the word prophets in the Old Testament appear in the book of Jeremiah. And about 80% of those are negative. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't done that math, but that, that's not surprising to me. He, there's certainly some interesting uh, interactions between Jeremiah and these other prophets. Yeah, so it's it's intriguing because prophet is not primarily a positive word in the Book of Mormon. I mean, in the, in the, in the Book of Mormon, in, in, in the Book of Jeremiah. Yeah. Um, partially because Jeremiah is he's opposed to these prophets. Yep, and they're opposed to him. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they're not kind to him at all. And, uh, and this is a key thing to be aware of is that. These are this is Lemuel. These are not Baalist prophets. These are not Asherot. These are not these, these are not worshiping. These are prophets who are claiming to speak the word of Jehovah. Yeah. Um, this this is an inter-religious um discourse, not an outward-looking religious discourse. Yeah. And 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 yeah. It's there's some lessons for us to learn from there as well. Yeah. Maybe I'll just throw out there for any of our audience that would really like to delve into a lot of this stuff. There's a fantastic book called Glimpses of Lehi's Jerusalem. Uh, that's a collection of articles that just kind of set the geopolitical scene uh, at the time that I, I find fascinating. Yeah. So it's Glimpses yeah. of Lehi's Jerusalem. It's very useful. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Jeremiah a little bit. Again, let's keep going because we have this great verse. That we, you know, we love this idea, you know, this is Jeremiah 4, 5, and, you know, 1, 4 through 6, right? Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet of the nations. As Latter-day Saints, with our distinctive doctrine of pre-mortality, this is important to us because, frankly, Scripture's not very explicit on doctrine, on the doctrine of pre-mortality in very few places, is yeah. Um, and especially if you take out restoration scripture, like the book of Abraham, this is pretty much the only place you yeah. get a little bit, you know, like, uh, did this man or his parents sin that he was born blind? That gives you the idea he could have sinned before he was born. But that's about it in terms of uh, pre-mortality besides this key verse in Jeremiah. But with it and kind of where, I, again, Jeremiah keeping it real, I kind of love Jeremiah's response to this. You know, God says, look, I knew you. I always called you a prophet. It's great. You're, uh, you know, I, I sanctified you from your, um, from even, you know, from um, even before you were born. And Jeremiah says, I, I, I can't do that. Right. Verse six. And then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. His very first response is not. Well, yeah, of course. You called me, you, uh, you know, this. he's like, no, no, I, I don't care how long you've known me. I can't do this. And I think it's compelling sometimes, especially in scripture, but as, as we think through the, we have these various prophetic call narratives, right? You have Exodus, you've got Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. You have Enoch in Moses 6. You have Isaiah in Isaiah 6. You have Jeremiah here. And almost always, God says, look, 
I knew you, I called you, I have a work for you. And the prophet says, not me. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. Jeremiah, Jeremiah has a fraught relationship with his call. Yeah. He is not, he doesn't always look back at it and say, wow, this is really great. And so that's what I really appreciate about, about Jeremiah broadly. Again, we talk about more specifics here, but one thing I really appreciate about Jeremiah, sometimes as, for example, with missionaries, right? You know, we help our missionaries. We say, look, guys, you can be like Ammon and his brothers. And people get on their mission. They're like, this is nothing like Ammon and his brothers. Everybody hates me. Nobody talks to me. Uh, I haven't actually converted anybody. And I think there's value sometimes in thinking through callings and saying, you might be like Ammon and his brothers. God's work is real. But you might also be like Jeremiah. God's work is still real. But not everybody's mission is going to be the same. Yeah. And it's not always going to be 100% success. And I really appreciate Jeremiah as a model for us for thinking through what happens when you get on your mission or your calling or whatever. And you're like, nothing's working. Yeah. They're not listening. They're not listening because frankly, let's be honest. People are more likely to not listen than they are to listen. Yeah. And that's what Jeremiah experienced. Uh, yeah. I mean, there were certainly people who listened, but the majority didn't. And he suffered because of that. And he also watched his people suffer because of that. Yeah, he, um, you know, again, you get the sense. You get the sense in Jeremiah and in the Book of Mormon, again, you know, this idea that all these prophets. But, of course, we know. I mean, we know from um, places like, you know, again, we have texts, extra-biblical texts, where they haul prophets to their prophets to try and run away, and they drag them back so they can kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this this is this is the milieu that that they're living in. And and I mean, Jeremiah gets thrown into a pit. Jeremiah gets I mean, he is it's pretty terrible, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And he keeps doing it. He keeps talking. He keeps it. And for me, that's one of the great ex examples of why Jeremiah is such a great example of a prophet is he doesn't have a lot of success. Things get terrible and they get worse and they get worse and they get worse. And he keeps talking yeah. and keeps preaching. And I love that. So there's one more thing in Jeremiah 1 I want to point out, and then we can talk some more about this, that I think really illustrates, and this, this you can't see in English, which is why I want to talk about this, illustrates part of Jeremiah's gift as a prophet. So this is Jeremiah um, 1, 11 and 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord, the word of Jehovah, came to me saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And he said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Okay, so he's so the Lord says, look, what do you see? And Jeremiah says, it's an almond um, branch. Yeah. And then the Lord said unto me, thou hast seen well, for I will hasten my word to perform it. So in English, it's really, you can, actually, you can actually see the connection between what he is seeing and the Lord. The Lord's like, that's great. In Hebrew, so the word for um, for the rod of almond branch is makel shaked. Okay, so shaked is um, the word for almond. And then he so he says, "What do you see?" And he says, "I see a makel shaked." And then Jehovah says, "That's good because shaked ani." I so the word for hastening here 
is um is is shaket. It sounds like shaket. Right. It's it's a, it's a similar root that so so the Lord says, you know, what do you see? I see a shuk a shakade. He says that's good because I'm about to shokade my work. Yeah. And so there's a there's a pun here that Jeremiah part of Jeremiah's ability as a prophet is his ability to in some ways perceive the Lord's message that he's showing with almond branch. You know, if he, there are other words for almonds, he could use that. I see a stick. I see whatever. But he uses a word that then the Lord can then use to teach his um, his purposes there. Uh, yeah, very good. Um, and it, you actually see this a little bit because um, what you find is there's this transition you see in prophecy that happens here. We'll see it a little later on the, the post in it where prophets like um, Zechariah, um, the Lord says, what do you see? And he says, well, you tell me. And then there's an angel who tell who explains the vision um, there. And what's really cool about this in terms of this being right around Book of Mormon things, you see that transition happening with Nephi and Lehi. Where Lehi has he has the um, you know, tree of life dream, and he comes out of it and he explains, This is what I saw about God's love, about salvation, all these things. And then Nephi goes and says, I want to see it. And the spirit asks, What do you see? And Nephi says, you tell me. I'm not sure. And so Lehi and Jeremiah are kind of one kind of prophet, and sort of Nephi and Zechariah are another kind of prophet. And it's kind of fun mm. seeing them sort of simultaneously, uh, right, right in this transition period. Yeah, that's cool. So I kind of, I kind of love that. That's one the way that, like, uh, you know, Kent used to say this idea that this is right exactly in the world that our scripture comes out of. And one of the great things about Jeremiah, again, if you really want to understand First Nephi, read Jeremiah and read it again, because this is this is precisely where they're um, deriving from. We we try to start with Isaiah and read that because Nephi does, but Jeremiah is the um, their, their exact contemporary. So good, yeah, that's fascinating stuff, uh, and, and I would agree. This this is. Uh, if you uh, two years from now, when we study the Book of Mormon, this wouldn't be a bad episode to go back and listen to again, uh, because you really will understand the Book of Mormon better as a result. Yeah, good. So what else do you see here? So there's, you know, and part, the other thing I, I really want to, again, like like Isaiah, like all prophecy in the Old Testament, this is Isaiah prophesies in poetry. Sorry, Jeremiah, excuse me. Jeremiah, as I did too, but um, Jeremiah prophesies in poetry. Um, his poetry is not quite as elevated as, it, as Isaiah's is, which is... Yeah, well, no one's is. No one's is, right, which makes it easier to read, which is nice yeah, uh, yeah. at that point. Um, but, and so so just being aware of, you know, the, the parallelism where it states and then restates, all those, all those things you've talked about in, you know, that our, reader, our listeners have done in terms of Isaiah and the Psalms and like that, Make sure you do them again um, in Jeremiah because yeah. you got to read. You got to read it as poetry. Um, the other thing that Jeremiah is an, is a thing for us, and this is especially going to see this for uh, sort of the um, the second Jeremiah lesson in Come Follow Me, is Jeremiah like almost certainly all ancient prophets. Jeremiah used a scribe. Yeah. Um, 
You know, we have this idea sometimes, the, and it's kind of a Book of Mormon model almost, you know, you sit down, you write it out. But Jeremiah um, dictated his prophecies. And we're particularly blessed because we know his scribe's name. His scribe's name is Baruch. And so... He's he's the only prophet who tells us explicitly how his writings get recorded. Yes. Right, so I can I can maybe picture Isaiah does his own writing, but I really don't know if he does. Uh, and he's the only one that I can read. Like Amos, I would guess probably isn't even literate. Yeah. Like he probably can't write his prophecies down. Um, Jonah, I have no idea, and so on. Uh, but I would guess, like you, that most of them, if not all of them have a scribe who does it for them. Uh, that's just how things work. Even for literate people, if you uh, if you were in the position to have a scribe do your writing, then you did that rather than writing it yourself. Um, fast forwarding to, a, again, a much later period, but you see this, for example, in Paul's letters in the New Testament, where we know Paul's literates. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, Paul yeah, we also know that Paul's is a scribe because it says so. It says written by so-and-so. And then the end, Paul says, and I've signed it with my own um, hand. I didn't write it, but I signed it for you. So, you know, yeah. it's coming from me. Um, and so and so this idea of, of again. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would be surprised if a majority of the prophets were literate. Um, yeah. just oh, I, I would guess not. Literary is so rare in, in the ancient world. Yeah. Um, and by the way, so my mother, I don't know. I think I mentioned this previous. My mother joined the church from Judaism. And for her, when she learned about Joseph Smith and his use of scribes in terms of scripture creation, translation process, doctrine covenants, where he would receive oracles and he didn't write them down, he would recite them to his scribes to write them down. My mother said, well, yeah, of course. That's how prophecy works. Yep. Um, And so we have actually this example in our own tradition of precisely what we're seeing um, in antiquity here with Jeremiah. Yeah, I agree. Kind of fun. Okay, so the other thing... So I want to actually go to Jeremiah 20 and then come back. Okay. Because Jeremiah 20 is, is, for me, one of these stories that makes the whole thing become real because it's Jeremiah reflecting on his ministry in ways that are intriguing to us, at least to me. Okay. And this is an interesting story in a number of ways. Right. So you have the beginning there. So you have, again, you have Pashur, the son of priest, uh, the son of Imr the priest, who was also chief governor of the house of Jehovah. So Pashur is, he's a very important figure in Judahite religious life. He's, 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 he's a temple. The overseer of the temple. Yeah. He's like, he's like, he's like, I mean, it's probably not. Um, it's probably too much of a thing to 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 say he's temple president, but he is in some ways he's in charge of the temple in intriguing ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he is very much more inside uh, the power circles of Jerusalem than Jeremiah is, and he strikes Jeremiah and puts him in stocks yep. there in um, twenty two, and. And it seems to be, again, it's intriguing because we know from extra evidence that they are okay with killing prophets. Yeah. We know from uh, on the Book of Mormon, they're okay with killing prophets. Well, the New Testament talks about it too. So yeah. it too. They don't kill Jeremiah. And so there seems to be some sense that 
They want to control Jeremiah rather than kill Jeremiah. Yeah. So all the things. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was thinking all all the things you see about throwing him in prison, stocks, his attempts to control his message rather than just end his message. Yeah. And there is one time where they they consider killing him, and there are some people who are in favor of it. But but he has some supporters that have some power. And they actually bring up the legacy of Micah as a prophet that said some things people didn't like, but they didn't kill him and so on uh, to kind of defend Jeremiah to, to have him not killed. Uh, now, th- this doesn't work. There are plenty of prophets who get killed, as you said, so it doesn't work all the time. Uh, but it, there is at least one point where he is really close to being put to death. But they decide not to. And instead, they go all of these controlling routes, as you said. And and part of it is 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 it seems that part. Oh, I mean, it's not how we usually think about it in modern ages because we have all kinds of different things with it. But there's a close association in even in Judah and Israel of prophets with kings, right? Prophets are are one of the prophets job is to advise kings. Part of the prophet's job is to say the things that kings don't necessarily want to hear. Yeah. They are they, they they seem to be protected persons ancient Israel to a certain point because their job is to specifically tell the king the advice he doesn't want from um Jehovah. He's got plenty of people telling him what he does want. Um, but obviously we see there are limits to that. Yeah. But that's part of why you see King, you know, somebody like Elijah, you know, somebody like even well, kind of start... Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Just I'm just just examples of these prophets who their job is to talk is to say bad things about the king, which is yeah. a, an unhappy job at the best of times. Yeah, it kind of starts really with the establishment of kingship. This Samuel and Nathan play these roles for Saul and David. Right. So at the at the inception of kingship, this role is already established by the person who made Saul king. Right. Uh, Sam, Samuel plays that role a number of times with Saul to say, you know what, you're messing up here. And Nathan does it with David, right? So it, it, it starts out at the beginning. Yeah. And, and, and again, you see that with Nathan and with um, Samuel, the sanctity of the prophetic person, right? Where, I mean, yeah. we, we, we know, I mean, we know that David's okay with killing people who uh, disagree with him because we've seen it. Yeah. Uh, we know that Saul's okay with killing people who um, support him. We see, you know, yeah. but Samuel says, you did this wrong. And Saul says, oh, how do I do better? Yeah. David, Nathan says, you did this wrong. And David says, oh, how can I do better? And so this idea of this protected position seems to be, again, like you say, Jeremiah pushes the very limits of the sanctity of prophethood. But part of it, why, why, why? It looks like he's protected is because he's acknowledged as a prophet. Yeah. Um, well, and I would say it seems like it's not the king himself who is looking to kill Jeremiah. It seems like it's these people who are who feel that they're in the position to be advising the king. And Jeremiah is usurping their authority. Yes. Have the biggest problems with Jeremiah because they want to be fulfilling that role. And, and honestly, they should be. They are in yeah. the positions where that is what they should be doing. They're not. So God has to bring in Jeremiah, who is somewhat an outsider, because those who are are in the inside aren't doing what they should do. Right. Which part of the with Pashur is, again, this is, frankly, this is an internal power struggle 
in who gets to invite in, in the proper worship of Jehovah. This is again, yeah. this is not an idolatry thing. This is the insider and another prophetic figure that is our friend Jeremiah trying to work this out. And again, that's why Pasher holds all the cards, but Jeremiah is the true prophet. Yeah. And he says, look, your name, you know, we're not going to call you Pasher anymore. We're going to call you Magur Misabib. The worst means terror all around. It's a nice name. The Babylons are going to come and destroy everything. Um, all the treasure will give in the Babylon. Um, and you're going to go, and this is a key thing, you're going to go into captivity. And that's that's a major part of this is, is this recognition that this experience is not going to just be one of destruction. It's going to be one of captivity. Um, that, that, and that becomes increasingly important as we get into the captivity, because we got further in the Bible, they're going to understand their experience in terms of that captivity, uh, rather than, not in destruction, but in, in actually being captive in Babylon. Um, yeah. So, okay, now I want to get to the Jeremiah's response to this experience. Okay, so this is Jeremiah 27. Uh, I'm going to we'll, we'll read all of it. This is seven and eight verses. Oh Lord, okay, Jehovah, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out violence and spoil, because the word Lord was made unto me, made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Jehovah and Jeremiah says, he says, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. And I remember reading this. This is again, that scripture is becoming real. I remember reading this on my mission. And just being struck with Jeremiah's honesty here. Jeremiah's willingness. And, and, and I believed you. I, I, you called me to call out. I called out. And it's been nothing but trouble since then. Yeah. Yeah. And you really get this feeling that he's saying, I, I mean, you told me you'd make me like a Flynn and this would be tough, but you'd be with me. But this is a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. Yeah. It's just it's just terrible. This is not what I was expecting with everything you told me. And again, I, and I, I, verse 9. Then I said, I will mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Jefferson, I'm done. I'm done. I'm tired of this. It's too hard. I can't do this. You lied to me. You, you told me this. It's just, it's just too much. But the real power in Jeremiah, I think, is the is we, he goes on. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Yeah, he says. He says, "Look, this is too much. I can't do this, God. I can't do this. I'm done. I'm done talking. I'm done. I just can't." And then he says. But it was too much. I understood too much. So the word was like fire in my bones. Yeah. And I love this because, one, I love it because there are times in your life, there have been times in my life where I feel it. I'm like, I, this is too much, God. I yeah. can't do it. It's too much for me. And, and you just, I mean, I don't know if you don't, but. I just want to just to say, look, you know what? I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Let's, let's just fold it in, go back to bed, 
forever. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just done. Yeah, the way uh, President uh, Nelson just put it, let's just get in our pajamas and curl up and have someone wake us up when it's over, right? Yeah, and and, and you feel that. And two, yeah, Jeremiah, one, it's okay to let God know how you feel. Right. Sometimes in our prayers, you know, we're almost like, I mean, formulaically polite to God. Right. You know, one of the things that um, I, I really appreciate about Jeremiah and about the God we worship, he has really broad shoulders. You know what? He can take it. Mm. You know, if, 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 if you're struggling, I really feel like he wants you to tell him that. He doesn't want you to bottle up inside, you know, explain why you're struggling. There are times in your life you're going to say to God, I just don't like how you're running things right now. Yeah. Because what God wants most of all is a relationship with you. And one of the things I, I really think that marks, especially prophetic figures, as opposed to maybe you and I, is their ability to treat God like a person to interact with him personally you know i don't know about you and you may be better than i am in this carry uh but maybe certainly our listeners may be better about this but i have this you know almost tends to treat god as a, a beard in the sky right this force almost rather than a personal actual being who knows you and loves you and communicates with you yeah and i find it's an interesting tension that we hold in our lives because we want to have this appropriate uh, reverence and awe and respect, right? Uh, the kind of being that we would kneel for when we talk. And yet, uh, at the same time, we want to have a relationship that uh, if I'm walking along and I realize a problem, I can just talk to God while I'm walking along. Uh, and uh, and so there's a little tension there, but I, th I think you're right. Uh, so we, we tend to err one way or the other where some people, God or Jesus is just a warm, fuzzy uh pat me on the head and put me to bed kind of feeling. And, uh, and for others, uh, they're afraid to be real with him. They're afraid yeah. to, to, to really level with them and say, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what's going on. Uh, I mean, I've had times even within the last few months where I had to say, I, and it was about people whom I love that were suffering. And I had to say, I, I don't like this. I, I'm going to accept your will, but I do not like this. And I don't know what to do. And and I love the way Jeremiah puts it, because essentially what he puts, and I've felt this a number of times in my life, essentially what he, what he says is, um, I, this is so hard. I don't want to go on, but not going on is actually harder. Uh, and I can remember that feeling, uh, you know, I felt called uh, to, to pursue the PhD that I pursued uh, so that I could uh, do certain things. Uh, but there were plenty of times uh, during that program when I thought, man, I just want to give this up. This is this is hard wow. to raise a family and do this at the same time. And uh, but each time I thought, oh, what are my options? Actually, I, I like those options less. Well, I, I, I like uh, not knowing that I didn't do what God asked me to do. That's a more miserable life than the hard thing I'm doing right now. And I think that's what Jeremiah experienced like. I don't like being put in the stockade. I don't like having uh, people do all these terrible things to me. But actually, the way I feel when I'm not doing your your will, 
uh, and fighting against those feelings that I'm feeling in my soul, yet that's even worse. And I think, I think it's useful to compare actually Jeremiah and maybe our own experiences to, to Jesus in Gethsemane, where Jesus yeah. himself says the exact same thing. Yeah. Where Jesus falls on his face, right? You know, we, we have in our news picture, the scripture is very clear. He falls on his face and he says, Father, I hate this. Yeah. Is there any other way to do this? Yeah. Let's do it that way. Yeah. I mean, he really does say that if there's any, any other way to do this, I want to do it that way. I don't want to do it this way. And then he says, of course, rather famously, but it's not what I want. It's what you want. Yep. And I think, one, I think if we can acknowledge that Jesus Christ himself can say to his father, I don't like to do this. Let's do it another way. It doesn't, we, we should not feel bad. <laughs> we look at our lives and say, I don't want to do this. Let's do it another way. Uh, you know, is there another way to do this? But with Jeremiah and with Jesus being able to say, but let's keep going. If this is what you need, um, let's keep going. Yeah. And I will say 20 years on, this verse is the verse that got me through my mission. Hmm. I, 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 I don't know that, again, I didn't have, it wasn't a bad mission, right? But I'm, I'm not naturally very good at things that missionary work pushes to. Hmm. And so it was not, you know, when I talk about, you know, talk about my mission it wasn't you know there are ways we talk about missions and um that was not always my experience um with my mission but like you say not doing it was worse than doing it yeah and 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 and, and jeremiah gave me vocabulary again i was you know 20 year old 19 year old gave me vocabulary that i didn't know i needed to talk about my relationship to god Mm. to say that's good to say, oh, wait a minute, it's okay for me to acknowledge my struggles here, and it's also okay for me to keep going. Uh, that's really well said. That's uh, not just said, but but just uh, thought through. That's something I think a lot of us need to hear is that this is vocabulary that is appropriate for, I think, everyone at some point in their life. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we're going to want, you know, it's going to be Nephi and go and do with big brass drums. But but sometimes it's going to be looking around and saying, man, this is not at all what I expected. Hmm. And actually, Prop is really good for that because, I mean, Jeremiah, there's actually another verse where he actually, he accuses God of lying in two places. And maybe we should accuse God of lying, but maybe Jeremiah has prophetic privileges that we don't have. <laughs> but um, in, in Jeremiah 4, he and this, this is actually useful for us too, I think, sometimes. Um, the verse of Jeremiah 4.10. And then said I, oh, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people Jerusalem, saying, ye shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches unto the soul. And by the way, the translation there, the word soul is, I mean, almost everywhere in the Old Testament, the word soul is nephish, mm-hmm. which means something like person. It can mean something like soul. I mean, there's, there's, there's reasons that. But it, its original Semitic notion is, is this idea of neck. And so maybe instead of reading that as the sword of the soul, He's like, you promise peace and the sword's right at our neck. Um, but part of this, I think, and this is something you had at the beginning here, this notion of God's covenant promises, we sometimes put the cart before the horse a little bit, right? We read our Book of Mormon. 
It talks about you keep my commandments, you'll prosper in the lands. And we kind of put prospering as the primary notion there rather than keep my commandments. <laughs> um, you know, this idea that, and we'll do this in lots of ways. We, you know, we'll, we'll say sometimes, oh, I'm prospering. Therefore, I must be keeping the commandments. In some ways, what um, you see in, in lots of places, especially in the Book of Mormon, but also here, uh, where suddenly we assume that these promises mean things that God does not think they mean, right? This idea of, of right? I mean, Jesus says both, you know, peace I give you, but uh, not as the world gives it. Yeah, and uh, I would there agree. There is no expectation that keeping the commandments means life gets easier. So Sometimes we do this. I do this, right? This expectation that, you know, if you keep the commandments, things will go, will go good for you. And that's broadly true, certainly. It's not always true specifically. And I, and I appreciate Jeremiah's willingness to say, look, this is what you're expecting. This is what happens. But then to invite Israel to say, so what does that mean then for us? Because fundamentally, the purpose of the covenant is not so that you'll get blessings. It's not so you'll prosper. Yeah. The purpose of the covenant is you have a relationship with God and a proposition with God and each other. Yes. Yes. And I think this is a really important point. I can't tell you how many times as I've uh, spoken about the covenant all over the church that uh, I'll talk about the the fact that part of the promises are protection and prosperity and all the different ways those can be manifested and I'll, I'll say that doesn't mean we'll we'll be protected or we'll be prospered prospering all the time because we are in a mortal probation and part of what needs to happen in that mortal probation is some some difficult things that challenge us and push us um and as president nelson has said that the path is a path upwards right i mean it's it's going to take some work to, to do that uh, but I think I need to to make that even more clear and say it even more because I've had some experiences uh, a few times where people will come up to me and these are good people who are trying, but they, they'll say, you know, I'm struggling with depression or I've been struggling with this in my life or that in my life. Does that mean I'm not really keeping the covenant? And and no, it doesn't mean that. I mean, I, I'm not saying for them. I, certainly there are times, and Jerusalem is an example, where uh, the, the hard things that they're going through are because they weren't keeping the covenant. But covenant keepers will also go through those hard times and you can't look at someone else and tell by the hard things they are or aren't going through whether they are or aren't keeping the covenant and you can't tell for yourself by those things whether you're keeping the covenant you can tell in other ways if you're keeping the covenant because you know what you're doing and what your intents are but don't think if i'm going through this hard thing it doesn't mean i'm not really keeping the covenant that's that's an equation that doesn't work and I think Jeremiah is a great example of this because he's right there in Jerusalem, in Judah, where there are people not keeping the covenant. And he certainly is, but it's not like his life is any easier than theirs. No, no. You know, You're right. And, and so, and so, and so I think, I think, again, we can multiply scripture examples. Even, even Lehi and um, his family, right? They leave before the destruction happens. But it's not like it's a picnic there and I'm out there in the desert. <laughs> nope. Nope. Plenty of tough things for them. Plenty of tough things for them. Even after they get the promised land where things are a little bit easier, but they never, you know, really. Um, and so I just I just think we just, yeah, we need to be careful as believers in the covenant to not 
put the cart before the horse and presume that Jehovah's protection means things that we always want. I had an experience recently where just just some terrible things happening in my family. And I remember giving my wife a blessing and feeling very, very prompted to say, it's okay. All is well. All, everything will be well. Everything will be well. And literally, everything will be well. Everything will be all right. All is well. And those terrible things were happening. I mean, like simultaneously giving that blessing. And I remember sitting there afterward trying to work through this and saying, it's very clear to me that what God means by everything being all right is a little bit different from mine. Yeah. But because of his eternal perspective, he can say things, look, it's all right in ways that is hard for us to see, which why trust and faith and Jeremiah's example of, you know what? I don't like this, but I can't stop because I trust God. I trust that it'll be all right in the end, even if things are um, are really hard right now. Uh, amen. Amen. Well, let me ask you, Avram, we've gone for quite a while. Um, we could wrap no. this up now. And I'm always or... my apologies. Yeah. Oh, sorry. What? We're probably yeah. in that, that a little. Oh, I was uh, going to say, I'm always my apologies. Talk where he says, don't you. Yeah. That delayed thing. Yeah. Allah uh, says, don't you quit. You keep going. Don't you quit. Um, yeah. And he talks about, you know, um, the apostle of good things to come. Good things will come. For me, Jeremiah exemplifies, don't you quit. Just just keep going. Uh, very good. Very good. Amen. Okay. I do want to just emphasize this notion of both the, I mean, there's a lot of destruction in Jeremiah. There mm. really, really is. It's, 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 it's really sobering stuff. But there's also this notion that that's not the end that it's going to uh there's going to be return right there's going yes. to be um this idea you see in in jeremiah 19 this idea of israel as, as the potter's vessel right this idea that's that's not that not that's 18 yeah right that 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 look it's not that you know actually Jeremiah, because we have these things in scripture that are called, uh, you know, these, 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 these object prophecies, right? We're, I'm going to see a ton of them in a couple of weeks when we get to um, Ezekiel. Um, he's, he's, he's all over this. But, you know, I mean, there's some gross ones, like the one where Jeremiah doesn't change his underwear. So it gets all yeah. gross and grody. And then he hides it up to just describe the decay that's happening on um, Israel. That's, it's kind of fun, but gross. Uh, but then there's the one where Jeremiah goes down to the, he goes and watches pots being made. Yeah. And the Lord says, look, you know, this is verse um, 18, six. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, oh, house of Israel, I do with you as this. cannot I do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And then he says, look. Now, this is verse 11. Now, therefore, go to speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil ways 
and make your ways and your doings good. But they said, there is no hope. We will walk everywhere and after our own devices. It's really interesting because Jehovah says, he, he says, says, look, I know this bad, I probably the bad thing about you. This is happening. But that's not the end. Right. Fine, come back. It's all right. And then the people say, oh, there's no hope. That's it. That's the end. We're just do whatever we want because it's going to happen anyway. We do whatever we want. And I really appreciate this because, again, in, in our own lives, in my own life, it's really easy when you, you know, you've sinned, you see bad, just say, you know what? You're right. Covenant's broken. Things are bad. There's no hope. And the Lord says, no, I'm always giving you hope. Yeah. There's always a way out. We'll see later on. I think it's later in Jeremiah for, for the reading. for uh, They can divide kind of in half there where the Lord tells Jeremiah, he says, go and buy a field. Yeah. Go, go. You're, you're going in exile, but you're coming back. So go buy a field so that, you know, so that. And, and, and keep the record that you own that land. You own that land because you're going you're gonna to come back to that land. So the people brought, you know, Israel's going to come back. And that's a key thing in terms of thinking about the exile is this notion that as the Israel goes into exile, and it's going to be, again, it gets bad before it gets good in some ways. Yeah. This idea that as Israel goes into exile, there's always this promise that they're going to come back. But this is not a permanent thing. They're going to come back to their land. They're going to come back to Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple. This is not the end of the story. Uh, um, and that's where, incidentally, where the message we get from uh, Judah is a little bit different from what we saw with Israel is there's more of the, the, the sense of return, right? Yeah. I mean, the Northern tribes, they become the lost tribes. And of course, God, Jesus tells um, the Nephites, I know where they are. Don't worry about it. You, you yeah. call them lost. They're not actually lost. I, I, I never, you know, I, I don't lose people, guys. It's kind of um, Jesus' uh, yeah. response there. I, I don't lose people. But, but the sense of there is a little bit of a difference between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom because always in the south there's this point that, yes, you'll be scattered, but yes, you're going to come back. Yeah. And to some degree, it's summed up so well in that story with the, the potter, right? Because, I mean, sometimes when you're making pottery and you get a little flawed, you can just kind of work with it and get it right back. But sometimes it's so flawed, you just lump the clay up and start over. And that's essentially what God is saying he's going to do with them. I'm just going to lump you up and start over with this. And that's what the Babylonian exile is, is the lumping up. Uh, now, if we're going to put that in terms of, is that fun for them? Or in terms of, is it fun for us to be lumped up and start over? No, that's not fun. But is it good for us so that we can become the vessel that we're supposed to become? Yeah, it's good for us. It's just a tough process. And uh, it, it happens for Israel or Judah as a whole. It happens for me as a covenant individual. Uh, and uh, it, it's just something, that, you know, all these words that that uh, are used so often by the prophets, refining um, and getting away dross and uh, all these things. That, that none of none of these are adjectives that sound fun yeah. right, or processes that sound fun, uh, but they're sure good for us. And I'm sure grateful for them. Yeah, you uh, and I kind of say we, we want to be. We want to be a lump of clay, right? You're like, wouldn't it be nice if you could just be a lump of clay forever? <laughs> and God says, I don't want a lump of clay. I want a pot. Yeah. 
He says, I'm going to do every, and this is a key thing. I'm going to do everything I can to make you into a pot. I'm going to do a perfect pot. (laughs) Yes. Make you into something that you can't even imagine. You know, this is what, and, and I think that's so key. This idea that, that, again, what God wants is us, but he wants the best version of us. And we're, I know I'm personally, I'm much more comfortable being like, but I could just be a lumpy pot. Yeah. yeah. I can still put stuff in a lumpy pot. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter if I'm not symmetrical. That's fine. <laughs> God says, no, I, I don't want a lumpy pot. I want a really nice one. And you can be better. We sell ourselves short in a way that I think um, the Lord simply does not. Yeah. That's good. That's good. In fact, it, it reminds me of famous statement by President Benson that President Nelson just quoted, which is men and women who turn their lives over to Christ will find that he can make a lot, lot more of their lives than they can. Yeah. And I think I think we see that again. This is part of what Jeremiah is trying to teach the people, and they're just not getting. Yeah. Um, in some ways, the whole message of it is and this is this is I, 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 probably our, my final thought for Jeremiah, this idea that everybody and every we do this all the time. There's this, I, I call it putting God in the box. Mm. We try and put God, in, we, we want to control God. We say, this is what you can do. This is what you can say. This is how you can act. This is what your relationship to me means. Um, we see that with Laman and Lemuel, right? When they come back from, um, you know, Lehi's vision, Nephi's version of it, right? And he sees them fighting. And he asks them, you know, what they're fighting about. They tell him, and he says, "Well, have you asked God what it means?" And Laman will say, "We have not. The Lord maketh no such thing known unto us." Yeah, so ironic. They, they had predecided what God would tell them, and of course, Nephi knows better because he's just learned. You ask God to explain things to you. In some ways, as I read Jeremiah, what I see a huge part of the problem of Judah and Jerusalem in this day is they predecided what God's going to do. Mm. They predecided who he is. They predecided they like we we already know that Jehovah's going to protect us because you know we already know that. We already know that we're doing things right and 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 part of what Jeremiah is trying to do is shatter them out of that and say no, not not what you think God says, but what he's actually saying. Yeah. And so much, I know this is my, I do this in my life all the time. There's this real tendency to want to put God in a box. Yep. To say, this is what you can do. This is what you can say. This is what you can reveal. Yeah. Or this now, is what Jesus is, is like. And I know he's that way because I decided he was that way. And I chose scriptures that reinforce that for me. And so this is what we should all do. And it's not okay to say we should do something different than that. <laughs> and, 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 and again, this is not just... I mean, we do this with the loving Jesus. We do this with the mean Jesus. We do this with, you know, yeah. we, we, we're always trying to pre-decide. We say, oh, well, this is not, this is part of my church, but this isn't. And we're always trying to just tell God who he is. Yep. Part of the message of, I think, all scripture, but the message of Jeremiah is to just just let God be God. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's going to be where we're too harsh on ourselves and letting God be God is believing God when he says, no, I love you. I forgive you. And, and I can change you. And I'll change you. And sometimes that's when we're um, too easy on ourselves and God said, and letting God say, no, I have commandments. 
I have things you need to do. But always, it's this recognition of being able to step back from what we want, being able to step back from what we think, being able to step back from who we have decided God is, the box we put him in, and let God say, I'm just me. It's me you love. It's me you worship. It's me who forgives you. Jeremiah shatters the box. And in our own lives, we need to shatter that box and let God be himself in our lives. Mm. Because frankly, again, he's the potter, we're the clay. If he's in charge, we're a lot better off than if we're in charge. Uh, amen. Amen and hallelujah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Avram. That is just a fantastic uh, beginning for us as we all jump into uh, Jeremiah in our own ways. Uh, it hopefully opens Jeremiah up for us to see it with some bigger eyes. So, yeah. Thank you. Again, I, 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 I love Jeremiah because, because he is so real. It makes it real for me. Well, thanks to Carrie. And we hope that our audience is able to take some uh, great things away from this and that if you found something uh, that would be useful for others, you'll let them know about it too. So thank you all and, and uh, bless you as the scriptures become real for you.